listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is going to be kind of our starting point today. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're also going to be in Matthew's gospel briefly and in the book of Hebrews. Uh, This is now week six in our sermon series uh, called Our Imperfect Family, Getting Real About the Health of Your Home. So far, we've looked at um, the words hope, forgiveness, blessing, and honor, four words of healing. And again, I know that uh, uh, some of us are still wrestling with those things. Uh, It's not easy uh, when you have bricks of unforgiveness that you're carting around in your backpack, so to speak. Uh, It's a burden that you're carrying that God doesn't intend for you to carry. Uh, But it's not easy. It's not easy to forgive. It's not easy to release someone uh, from the debt uh, that uh, was incurred when you were hurt, when you were injured. Um, And so it's only as we uh, consider Uh, how much we've been forgiven ourselves uh, by a merciful, gracious God that we can extend forgiveness to others. And so I hope that you're understanding the freedom of that. And then blessing and honor, uh, four words of healing. Last week we looked at the first of three building words that we're going to use to kind of conclude this series of messages. We looked at the word truth last week. Uh, I remind you that Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify, it means to, to set apart, but it signifies change. It signifies life transformation. Uh, we like to say that we uh, are a transformational church in the sense that we are all works in progress. And by the grace of God, uh, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. I hope that you can say that you are not what you once were, and yet you also realize at the same time that you are not everything God intends for you to be. And so hopefully you are learning to lay aside and to to leave behind some things that would hold you back spiritually. Uh, besetting sins and those sorts of things. Um, Scripture tells us that we're to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us so that we can run uh, with endurance uh, the race that God has set before us. And so um, it's important that we uh, understand these important truths. And so the truth transforms. Jesus leaves no doubt in that high priestly prayer where truth is found. Your word is truth, he goes on to say in that 17th verse, of chapter 17. So every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is absolute. It's authoritative. It is binding truth. We don't open God's word together every week as if it's just some good piece of literature. I was listening to a podcast this week by uh, an agnostic author uh, who wrote of an experience of kind of a faith journey uh, in the Midwest with a group of uh, custom uh, combine, uh, they're, they're, they're harvesting the wheat. And, uh, and so in that, she's talking about how um, she was coming to understand that the Bible is more than just good literature. She'd always appreciated it kind of as that since she was an author, but she came to realize that this book actually is much more than that. And so it has transforming power. It's described in scripture as alive and powerful. Uh, it is the truth. 
And so the question last week was fundamentally this. Are you building your life, are you building your family on the rock, the truth? Uh, Jesus said there in, the, in that parable, in that story, he said that those who hear my words and do them, or do them. So it's more than just being familiar with what Scripture teaches. It is also living it out in our daily lives. When you do that, you're committed to that, then you are building on the solid foundation of the truth. Or, uh, by contrast, if you are building on the shifting sand of worldly values and worldly priorities, uh, then you're destined for collapse. Uh, That is not a firm foundation. So our first building word was truth. Our next building word today is the word church. Church, and I dare say that the church of Jesus Christ is without a doubt the most neglected family source uh, resource in the world today. So many families today will say essentially that they believe in God. They even maybe would say we love Jesus, and yet they are at the same time trying to navigate the challenges of this crazy sinful world without the help of the only institution that God created to nurture and support the family. Uh, I ask people uh, a, a simple question fairly often as I meet new people in our community and even in our area. I'll simply ask them, do you have a church home that you attend regularly? And I use that language purposefully because I know depending on how we grew up and, and our experience, we have different views of church life and church membership and what does that mean? What does it mean to commit to the church and so forth? And so I'll just simply say, do you have a church home that you attend regularly? Uh, I don't ask him, are you a member of a church somewhere? It's kind of funny. I, I pastored for 11 years in my previous church in East Texas. And after I'd been there five, six, seven years, I would meet someone. And I would say, you have a church home that you attend regularly? Are you a part of a church? And they're like, yeah, I go to First Baptist Queen City. And I'm like, really? I'm your pastor. My, I never met him. <laughs> never met him. And so everybody has a different view on what that means. And because we live in a very individualistic uh, culture, especially here in America, and we have different views, and and what has crept into the church even is this uh, this idea of of consumerism. Uh, And so even the way that we look at church, the way that we look at church life, and then naturally you will hear people say things that contain an element of truth. They'll say things like, going to church makes you a Christian about like walking into a Burger King makes you a hamburger. That's, that's real cl- catchy, that's clever, and, and fundamentally that's true. You being here this morning, you attending church, does not make you a Christian. I, I understand the truth there. But at the same time, if you say that you love Jesus, then it stands to reason you would love what Jesus loves. And Scripture tells us that Christ died for the church. And the earthly picture that he gives us of that amazing love relationship is marriage. Is marriage. So what would it be like if I told you on one hand that I love Christy, I love my wife. I have no desire to hang out with her though. I want to spend any time with her. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? And that's, that's kind of what we see as it relates to the church. Now, the connection between the church, this week's building word, and last week's word, the word truth, is clearly seen here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. In this particular case, again, Paul is writing to the younger Timothy. He's a young pastor, a church planter. And he says in verses 14 and 15, I hope to come to you soon... 
But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And then notice what it says next, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. There's the connection between the church and the truth. Now, I recognize that, that um, when we say church, we can mean a couple of different things, okay? We can mean the church universal, that is, those who throughout time and, and history uh, universally have turned from their sin to faith in Jesus Christ. They are a part of the church, the church, okay? But whenever you study scripture and you stop and just think about for a moment the New Testament itself, how much of the New Testament is written to actual local bodies of believers? To the local church. The church locally expressed is one way for us to say that. Okay, And so this ideology of, hey, I can be in this love relationship with Jesus, but I really don't have any desire to do life with his people. Okay, That is foreign to scripture. Okay, when, when, when Paul went out, what did he do? He went out to plant churches, right? That's why in our missions endeavors, it centers around the local church. And while we support missionaries who serve in various areas, whether it's military chaplaincy or whatever, the whole idea is to, is to guide those people into a relationship with a local body of believers. And hopefully this morning, uh, you're going to see why that is so important. So notice that the church here in Paul's writing to Timothy is described as the pillar of the truth. Now, what does a pillar do? Well, a pillar typically supports. It supports. The church is a strong support that will allow the truth to stand in your home in times of hardship, even those times that shake your family to its very core. Uh, I've seen this multiple times over the, the last 30-some years of ministry. Families that go through very difficult seasons for various reasons. And it's amazing the difference when you've got a family who, who is, is standing on the truth and they're involved in a local body of believers and they're doing life with other believers and they're living in community with other believers and those over here who are not. Now, I have to suggest, hey, if you just come to church regularly and, and you get involved here, everything's going to be great in your life. That, that's not what I'm suggesting at all. What I am telling you is that hopefully you will have a support system uh, to undergird you during those difficult seasons. You'll have people praying for you. Just think about, here's a fascinating study. Just go through Scripture and, and look up all of the one another's in Scripture. We're to pray for one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And so it's obvious as we study Scripture that God never intends for us to live the Christian life in isolation. As some sort of lone ranger. So it's important that we understand God's plan for the church. And that's the first thing I want you to notice today is the importance of committing to the church. Committing to the church. Now, we're not going to talk so much about our, our membership model here and all those things. We would be glad to talk with you about that. But there was a book written a number of years ago, can't even recall the author, but the, the title of the book was Quit Dating the Church. Because that's where a lot of people are content to be these days. Uh, we pastors, when we're having conversations together, we, tell, we call them the fun event people. Like in every church I've served, there are people who, who have no commitment whatsoever to the local church, rarely ever give financially, uh, don't serve there, any of those things, but they tend to show up when there's fun stuff happening. 
know what I mean? And we want you to be here when the fun stuff's happening. I mean, in fact, we even need your help when the fun stuff's happening. Okay, but that's not the kind of relationship that God intends for us to have with his local church. His local church. And so pray, and if you're in that position this morning, maybe you're saying, hey, I'm searching, I'm looking for a church home, that is wonderful. And if that takes you some time, that too is wonderful. That's great. And I would not stand here and tell you this morning that First Baptist Church Van Alstine is for everyone. Okay, Maybe God would have you serve somewhere else and be involved somewhere else. But the bottom line is, hey, there comes a point where you got to say, this is my church home. This is my church family. This is where I'm going to do life with people. And I'm not suggesting you can't visit other churches at different times or with family and all that. I mean, we understand all of that. But, but, but where are you putting down some spiritual roots? Doing life with people. Uh, one of the things that we find here in, in our neck of the woods, as we say, in this part of the, because we're kind of like becoming the Metroplex, right? You'd be amazed at how many people live here locally in Van Alstine, and they will say, I would rather go to church down somewhere else, down south. And there's great churches down south. But the reason that they sometimes tell me is because I don't want to go to a church where people know me. In other words, they're content to just kind of be a face in the crowd. You can slip in, do church, check it off on your list, and then you, you, don't, it doesn't have to, you don't have to get involved in the messy stuff of life. Well, that's not how God intends for us to do church life. And so whose church is it? Let's, let's take a look at Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn there. If, if you don't, it'll be up on the screen for you. And I want to remind you that much of Scripture was originally written to churches. We know that in some cases it was written to individuals like Timothy. Um, but it, there also you, we just spent about eight or nine months going through a letter to a church, to a local church, the church at Corinth. But whose church is it? Whose church is it? Now, some people, when, whenever you ask that question, they think of your church structure. Well, is it the pastor's church? No, it's not the pastor's church. Is it the board of deacons? Do you have a board of deacons? The board of no. Is it really even our church? Now I understand what we mean when we say that. This is my church home. I love my church, and that, it's not wrong to say that. But fundamentally, this is the Lord's church. This is the Lord's church. Okay, he is the great shepherd. I I have the joy and the privilege and the responsibility of being an under shepherd. But this is fundamentally his church. And we find that teaching in Matthew chapter 16. We pick it up in verse number 13. And if we read down through verse 18, here's what we find. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's an important question, isn't it? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he, he, he focuses his question a little more. In verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, we could talk all day about what people say, what others say about Jesus, who Jesus is. We have people in our world today, you work with them, you live near them, you, you, you shop with them. People who think of Jesus as just a prophet. Uh, they think of him as, as just a great teacher who, who taught some great principles, Okay, some think of him as kind of a, a revolutionary religious leader. 
There were people in his day who wanted him to come and set up an earthly kingdom and overthrow Roman rule. And so people look at Jesus in a lot of different ways. Some would say he was just a prophet, and not unlike what we found here in, uh, in Matthew's gospel. But he asked it this way, who do you say that I am? And I would ask you the same thing this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he to you? And here's the reason that is so important. So Simon Peter, shouldn't surprise us that Peter answers. Uh, Peter was the, the disciple who would typically open his mouth and insert his foot, right? So maybe we can identify with him. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, sometimes Peter would say weird stuff, kind of off-the-wall things, and I'm sure that Lord Jesus would be, there are a lot of times when he's just thinking, bless your heart, Peter. You know, bless your heart. But this time, Peter hits a home run. Peter hits a home run. Hey, you step into the box enough times, you swing enough times, and eventually you're going to make good contact. And that's what happens here with Peter. Peter nails it when he says, you are the Christ. And whenever you see the word Christ in your English Bible, think Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, again, we could certainly argue that this is fundamentally the most important question that any one of us could answer. You can have an opinion about a lot of things, but this is, it sounds like hyperbole many times when we say this is a matter of life and death. The way that you answer this question truly is a matter of life and death. Who do you say that Jesus is? The question is not, what does your mom or dad think, or what did your grandpa think? The question, is, the question is, who do you say that Jesus is? And so Peter gives this amazing answer. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. But then notice Jesus' response to that. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What, what an amazing statement from the Lord Jesus here. Now, this has caused a lot of confusion down through the ages. For 1,500 plus years, this has been used to teach that Peter was the first pope and the bishop of Rome. Okay, I'm not going to go into all of the details of that, but I don't believe that that is what this passage is teaching. This is actually a play on words in the original Greek language. The word Peter in Greek is Petros which can mean a very small stone or pebble. The word rock in the original language is petra, which means a great outcropping of rock, a large rock. Uh, when I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do when I came up to a body of water, whether it be a, a, a river or a stream or a lake or a pond or something, I like to skip rocks. And so you naturally, you start looking around for, you know, a nice skipping rock, one that's, that's flat, usually kind of smooth, one that you could, you know, fling across the water and you could count how many times you could skip it on the water. Okay, so th that, that, that would be a fairly small rock, something that will fit in your hand, you know, not much bigger than a baseball. That would work perfect. So I, I, I never, you know, thought to myself, I think I'm going to find a boulder somewhere that I can skip across. 
I mean, in our minds, when we're thinking boulder, we're thinking something that I can't pick up, okay? It's too big for me to pick up. That's essentially what's happening here. Essentially, Jesus was saying to Peter, you are a little stone, you're a skipping rock. But upon this massive rock, I will build my church. And even early church fathers did not believe that the church was built on Peter himself, but upon Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so really what Jesus is saying is, Peter, you're a little guy, but you just said a really big thing. And I'm going to build my church on what you said. It's the Lord's church. It's his church. It is built upon the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. It's his. And that's really significant because he says here to Peter, I am building my church. Now, that's refreshing for those of us who are church leaders. That's incredible news. I don't know what you've been doing this week, but Jesus Christ has been building his church. He's been building his church. It's not the pastor's job to build the church. It's not our job to build the church. He's building his church. The word church, it comes from a compound word, ek and kaleo. You take those two words, ek means out, kaleo means to call, the called out ones, the called out assembly. That's the ecclesia. So when we say we're studying ecclesiology, kind of as we are here this morning, we're saying we're studying the church. We're studying the called out ones. And here's the amazing thing. God sovereignly chooses to use us in building his church. We're to be faithful in living out the gospel and sharing the good news and making disciples who are making disciples. But it is not our job to manipulate people into some sort of a decision so that we can add another name to our list. There are a lot of things people are doing today to grow the church. A lot of different methods. I get emails. I get every single week of some new thing. Some do this, do this program, adopt this thing. All these various ideas to grow the church. Some of them are legit. Some of them are biblically faithful. Others, I'm just like, no. No, we're not just about gathering a large crowd of people. Okay, do I want to see our church grow numerically? Absolutely. But what we do not want to do is have a church that is a mile wide and an inch deep. Okay, so church growth is far more than just the number of people, nickels and noses, as we say. It's about the depth. It's about us all growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are more passionate about winning than others. How many of you like to win? How many of you like to win? Oh, be honest, really? Others of you, you're just like, nah, I'm pretty cool with losing. I mean, is that what you're saying? Or are you just too lazy to lift your hand this morning? I mean... But some of us, we can take it to another level, right? I mean, like if we're playing dominoes with the kids, it's like, I owned you, kid. I know you're just in kindergarten, but, I, you know, I mean, we like to win. I like to win. I, I'm passionate about winning. You know, one of the things that I hated most when I was coaching uh, was people that would say, you know, after a lot, it's okay. I, I know what they're trying to say when they say that, but I never wanted my players to think it was okay to lose. Like, that's cool, you know. Whatever. It's like, you know, they have that meme nowadays that goes, I just hope both teams have fun. <laughs> okay. No, man, we're competing, right? I mean, that's the whole point. If it's not, then let's quit keeping score, okay? You know? 
I mean, I'm not, you know, hoping by six or seven o'clock this evening, we'd be like, well, the Cowboys played the Patriots, but I look like they all had fun. <laughs> That's not what we're about. Well, here's the thing. My, my high school basketball coaching career did not start off real well. Okay, this is back in the mid-90s. I'm coaching over here at Louisville Christian Academy, and I took a group of guys who, I'll just be honest with you, they didn't have a clue, most of them. Some guys had some athletic ability. I, my first practice, let me just put this in perspective for you. I said, we're not going to move on to anything else until you guys as a team can make 10 layups in a row. We did layups almost the entire practice because as a team, they could not make 10 layups in a row. That's, that's kind of how bad things were. Okay, but given some time, and a commitment to winning, and a commitment to learning the game, and performing to the best of our ability, and doing our job, and all of those things that go into coaching a team, that team went on to win a state championship. And that's why I have this ball in my office. Now, you can't see the names written on here, but it says 1995. I mean, hard to believe that's 30-some years ago. almost. State champs. Now, if we would have just said, you know... And I'll be honest with you, that first season, most of the time, what I was spending my time on was changing their mindset. Because they would go into most games just thinking, we're going to lose. Okay, I'm not talking about guys that would walk into the gym, they would look to the other end, and they would go, Coach, they got a guy 6'4". Did you see him? He grabs the rim. I'm like, okay. Last time I checked, grabbing the rim doesn't get you any points, okay? I mean, I'm trying to just, I mean, we're talking Hoosiers kind of stuff, right? I, I had to change their mindset, and it took a while. It really did. But I'll never forget when, when, when something changed in their heads, and they began to go into more games thinking, you know what? We're going to win this one. We're going to win this one. I think we can beat these guys. Now, did we win every game after that? No. But I'm going to guarantee you, when we lost... There was a great deal of disappointment because they didn't go into that game expecting to lose. And here's the thing with the church. We got a lot of Christians out there today who think the church is losing. They do. And I'm going to tell you why. I think it's because a lot of Christians today are putting on their little political lenses and they're looking at the world around us and they're going, well, I don't like the way things are going right now. I understand that. I understand that. And so you're like, we're, we're just on the losing team. And they'll post radical stuff. They'll say radical hyperbolic things like, well, if things don't change in this country, it's over for the church. Wait, what? What? You might want to do a little uh, church history study. Because what you'll discover is that through most of church history, the church did not operate under a favorable government. Why do you suppose that there were people in Jesus' day, even as he came, they, they wanted him to what? Overthrow Roman rule, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that we should be cool with some of the things that we see happening in our world today and all of that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that politics isn't important. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm here to tell you this morning, we are on the winning team. We're on the winning team. And unlike that basketball team that I coached back in 1995, here's the thing. We can already know now that we win the game. How do you suppose it would have changed our practices every week if going into the game, we knew with certainty that we were going to win, no matter what? 
It, it would have changed our perspective entirely, right? Completely. Well, the Bible tells us we are on the winning team. He is building his church. And while it may be discouraging, and while you may feel like that we're being defeated in many ways, and while you may feel like some of our freedoms are being stripped away, we are still on the winning team. And Jesus Christ is still Lord. I don't care who's in the White House. And that will always be true. He is building his Church, I believe in the blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled body of the redeemed. And I am so thankful that we can grow together under that protective umbrella. The church of Jesus Christ, and it's an incredible resource for your family, full of truth and relationships and fellowship and support and accountability. That's what the church is. So here's the thing. It's I hold you accountable, you hold me accountable. Okay, so the next truth I want us to see is this. Submit to the church. Commit to the church. Submit to the church. Now, some of you may be thinking right away, you're like, Pastor, you've gone too far now. I was tracking with you pretty good when you're talking about commitment to the church. But this whole thing of submitting, submitting to the church, well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And in verse number 17 there, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So as a church leader, to whom am I accountable? Well, I, on, on a horizontal level, I'm accountable to you. You see me uh, out doing something stupid, hopefully you can come to me and lovingly say, Pastor, that's kind of stupid. That's not how a pastor should respond. That's not how a pastor should act. And there have been more than a few times at sporting events that I've had to be reminded of that, okay? I, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. You know, it, that, that's, that's just how it works. Okay, but ultimately, I give an account to God for how I shepherd the church that he has entrusted to me. So there's this mutual accountability. I must give an account. He says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, the, these years now into pastoral ministry, I can say by and large, the vast majority of people that I've had the privilege of pastoring have been a joy. There have been a few, however, who've made me groan, Okay. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is don't be one of those people. Okay, don't be one of those people. And hopefully at the same time, I don't want to be the kind of pastor that makes you groan. Like, what is our pastor going to say now? What is he doing this time? Hey, what is going on here? And, and right now, if you're paying attention at all, you, you know that there are more and more stories of, of rather well-known, large-platform kind of people whose abilities maybe outpaced their character. And so what are we finding now? Stories of ministries collapsing. May have been gifted speakers, may have been gifted in, in certain areas of leadership and things of that nature, but because their character lagged way behind those abilities, those ministries ultimately crumble because they were abusive to people, verbally abusive to staff, overbearing, all of those things. So when we say submit to the church, we are not talking about blindly following some cult-like leader. Who's throwing out a bunch of extra biblical stuff on you or trying to run your life or, or anything like that? Now, our culture, and I understand this, 
often equates authority with evil, abusive, heavy-handed arrogance. But the leaders in God's church very clearly are not to be that way. In fact, if you study 1 Peter 5 and Titus 1, for example, it teaches us there that church leaders, the biblical term is, is elder or pastor, are to be loving shepherds, examples to the flock, servant leaders, sensible, devout, self-controlled. The Bible teaches that you and your family are to find leaders like that in a local church and place yourselves under their care. Now, don't go looking for a perfect pastor because you won't find one. This one isn't. Okay, We've entitled this series, Our Imperfect Family. Well, this morning we could call it Our Imperfect Church. Okay, Our families are imperfect because they're made up of imperfect people. Our church is imperfect because it's made up of imperfect people, including your pastors. <laughs> we're all imperfect. So again, we're not talking about some, you know, I, I'm always intrigued by these. That you'll see these documentaries on like David Koresh and the Branch Davidians and things of that nature. And I just, it, it just baffles me how someone like that could gather a following of people. Like, and if you, if, you, if you watch some of that, and, and I know it's a reenactment in most cases and things, but here's a guy standing in front of a group of people saying fundamentally, I am Jesus Christ. I'm thinking if I'm sitting in the room and he says that to me, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. But no, you got people sitting there going, sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Like, what in the world? Jim Jones. These people, I mean, trek off to Guyana with him and drink the Kool-Aid as we say, and it just blows my mind. So when we say submit to the church, we are not talking about following some cult-like leader, okay, blindly, okay? In fact, I, I would say I want you to be more like the Bereans, okay? So Pastor Mike preaches the word. I'm going to strive every week to the best of my ability with the help of God Almighty to, to faithfully open God's word together with us and proclaim the truth. But I don't want you to allow yourself to just be spoon-fed. Well, Brother Mike said it, it's got to be true. Whoa. Like, Pastor Mike gets up here and says something. It may be super clever, or you may think that, that sounds good, but what does Scripture say? So search the Scriptures to see that these things are true. Search the Scriptures. So what are the characteristics of believers who are submitting to the church? What, what do they look like? Well, they're faithful faithful, prayerful, you praying for one another, you praying for your leaders, we praying for you, serving, are you serving? Okay, a lot of people, they, they think, man, I'm called to just sit and soak, just soak it up. No, we're, we're saved to serve, ultimately. Where are you serving? We're, we're, we're called to grow together. That, that, that includes me. We're all on this journey together, and we're all so hopefully growing in Christ-likeness as we, as we dig into God's Word. Are you unifying? Are you unifying? Those are the characteristics of those who are committed to the church, submitting to the church. And then finally, participate in the church. It's God's program. Now, if we turn back a couple of pages to Hebrews chapter 10, you'll find a section of Scripture there that when you think of the church... The local body gathering together, you maybe think of this text. Maybe you didn't know where it was found, but it's right here in Hebrews chapter 10. 
And the writer of Hebrews says this, therefore, brothers, so you know he's talking to believers. He's not just talking to guys, okay? He's talking to, to brothers and sisters. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, through his death, okay, the, what the veil was torn in two, right? Reconciling holy God with sinful man. That's, that's the relationship that we're in with him. That's my hope and prayer for each and every one of us. And, verse number 21, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, notice what it says next. Let what? Let us. Us. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then here's verse 25 that you're probably most familiar with. Not neglecting to meet together. To meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Here's another one another. Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in verse 22 there, the writer of Hebrews says, we are to draw near. That is a statement about worship. That's a statement about worship. So what he's fundamentally saying is come together. Come often, come early, come prepared, anticipating, meeting with God, hearing from God, being transformed by God and his word. That's what we're to do. Us, we do that together. And then he says, verse 23, hold fast without wavering. Hold fast without wavering. You think doctrine isn't important? Think again. And it's only as we together hold fast to the essential truths of Christian teaching, of biblical teaching, that we are not blown around by every wind of doctrine that comes up. Who, who are the people that typically end up in cults? They're typically people who are not well grounded in their faith. We don't want to be those people. You hear something, it's some new fad, new thing, whatever, and you just like, wait, 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 wait. I, Sounds like it might, no, maybe, maybe not. We need to practice biblical discernment. And the way that we do that is by holding fast to the teachings of Scripture, to the Word of God, to our confession. Verse 23, then verse 24, notice what he says. Stir up one another to love and good works. Now, we all know some people who can stir some stuff up, right? <laughs> I, I do. I've pastored some people who could stir some stuff up. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you want to stir something up, you stir up one another to love and good works. Stir up one another to love and good works. I hope and pray that when we come together, when we serve together, when we worship together, I hope and pray that it encourages you, that it challenges you, that you leave here maybe convicted. Sure, I do. <laughs> and I'm the one preaching Okay, you leave here convicted, but I hope that you also leave here challenged to go live out what we've just heard. And that you're willing to do that in community with other believers. 
We're holding one another accountable, stirring up one another to love and good works. And so it may be time for some of you to, to go to a friend and go, hey, would you pray about, about serving in this area of ministry along with me? And we got some areas where you can serve. You may not realize this, but our children's, our preschool department is growing quickly. And you look around. I mean, even in this room, you see new faces and faces that you may not, they they look somewhat familiar to you, but you don't really know who they are. Hey, there's a lot of different ways that you can jump in and serve. And we would love to talk to you about some of those things. Some areas would require that maybe you do a background check, for example, and, and things of that nature. Some, some areas of service in our church would require that you be a member of First Baptist Church. Others, that's not, that's not necessary. So how can you jump in and serve? I want you to be stirred up to love and to good works. And then notice he says in verse 25, encouraging one another as we come together. So the question in our consumeristic day, as it relates to church especially, is are you using the church as some sort of service that is provided for you? As if every week the staff gets together and we like provide a service for you. I mean, I I know what we're saying and, and we want to prepare faithfully and we want to strive toward excellence and all of those things. But the church is not to function where the large majority of people are just consumers of something that we are producing. That's why we've said we we have no desire to create an online church. Well, I know that there are some watching today online uh, for legitimate reasons. That's great. And we'll continue to do video ministry as God's allowed us to do this. And I'm thankful for the technology that allows those who are shut-ins and those kind of things to, to be a part of the service. That's great. Sometimes when you're homesick or you're away even and you can jump on and be a part of the service, that's awesome. God intends for us to come together, physically come together. And while I know this has been a weird season and different ones for various reasons, medically or for whatever reason, you maybe felt like you couldn't do that. And there may be some still like that. But the bottom line is that this is not just some kind of thing that we provide for you. We produce content that you consume. Where many times your level of involvement depends on if you, what you feel like you're getting out of it. I want to quote a former president. You may not uh, agree with his politics. You may, I, I don't know. But it was John Kennedy who said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask instead what, what you can do for your country. Well, I would say the same thing about the church. If you're in a position right now where you're just going, what what can the church do for me? Does the worship make me feel good? Does the preaching make me feel good? Is the pastor a nice guy? what, What can the church do for me? What services do you provide for my kids? Are you one of those kind of consumers? Are you willing to alongside a lot of other people, roll up your sleeves and go, I'm going to start asking what I can do for my church, what I can do for his church, for the glory of God. That may look different for all of us. Some of you are at a place in life where you can't do as much, perhaps. I understand that. I understand it completely. In fact, I was having a conversation with somebody even in the last couple of weeks about as we get older and things of that nature. I mean, I'm even at a place where if I had to go over there and get down on my hands and knees with the little ones, 
I might still be there this time next week. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so we can't all do the same things. But you should be asking, what can I do? What can I do? How can I serve? How can I lift up Jesus through this local body of believers? Let's, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment. I don't know where you might be as it relates to the church this morning. I certainly recognize that there are some here today who would say, Pastor, you, you might not understand just how deeply I've been hurt by the church. I know that that is a, a difficult reality. Even within our own family of churches, there are issues right now, and we're hoping and praying that we're heading in the right direction on shining light into the darkness of hurt and abuse and those sorts of things. And if that's you this morning and you're in a place where you just need some healing, we want to be that place for you. I'd love to pray with you about that. Lovingly guide you through that, finding a place of forgiveness and hope and healing and all of those things. There may be others here today who would say, Pastor, I've pretty much been a consumer. As I look at the church, I pretty much think of it as, what can the church provide for me? What can the church do for me? What do I expect of the church? And I give little, if any, thought to, how can I serve? And maybe that some of you are hesitant because you feel like you're not good enough, you're not qualified, you're not... Hey, we're all broken people. Every one of us. We're all striving every day to become more like Jesus. Maybe you're in a place right now where you say, well, we've, been, we've been praying, been searching, been seeking. I'm just not certain that First Baptist Van Alstine is, is the place where we're supposed to land. Then, then I want to I pray for you that, that God will guide you to that place where he would have you plug in and serve and be fed and where you can challenge and encourage others as they challenge and encourage you. We do life together. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's messy. You may be that one today who would say, Pastor, I'm just not even certain that I'm in a right relationship with God. It's only as you turn from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ that you can be reconciled to holy God. It may be that it's time for you to take that step of faith. Maybe it's time for you to publicly identify with him in believer's baptism. Maybe time for you as an individual or a family to take that next step and walk through the membership process. Commit to the work that God is doing here locally. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word today. We thank you that you have ordained, planned with purpose, the church.
for us to serve together, for us to love one another, for us to encourage one another, to hold one another accountable. It's family. It truly is a place where friends become family. And while we recognize that we do all of those things imperfectly, it's only as we rely upon you, only as we trust you, only as we follow your leadership in our lives that we will become all that you want us to be. Help us, Lord, together to make much of Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.